It's no secret that I choose to adopt a plant-exclusive diet for all of the amazing health benefits while simultaneously preserving the lives of the animals I love so much and the health of our planet. I love aligning with brands who share the same values. And that's why this show is brought to you by Greenback, an Australian-made and owned health and wellness company who is completely plant-based and vegan-friendly. Greenback's Better For You range features clean, complete plant protein powders, bars, cookies, and ice creams in a range of different flavors. As well as being high in protein and fiber, the whole range also has the added benefits of being gluten, dairy, and preservative free. So it's fun for everyone. The convenience of having great tasting, high protein plant-based options when I'm on the go has been a lifesaver. My personal favorite is the protein bar that is the sacred combination of dark chocolate and mint. Alongside the great tasting bars, Greenback have also just launched a high protein ice cream, making dessert an option every single night. The salted caramel flavor is heavenly. For friends of the podcast, the team at Greenback have enabled you to get a nice little discount when shopping online. Head on over to www.wearegreenback.com to see a full list of products. And don't forget to use the code Euphoria Health at the checkout for 10% off the entire range. I will also have a direct link in the show notes for where you can purchase online. You can also get your hands on the Greenback product range at all major retailers, including Woolworths, Coles, and Chemist Warehouse. I think having a performance-related goal is going to keep you much more intrinsically motivated than having any sort of aesthetic-related goal. Aesthetics can change day-to-day, whereas performance-related goals, you can have kind of clear indicators of where you currently are and where you want to be. So that's kind of why I encourage most of my clients, even if their uh, sole kind of goal is surrounding body composition related results, to always have kind of some sort of performance goal in the, back, uh, in the background. That, my friends, was Hayden Crossley. And this is the Euphoria Health Podcast. Hey there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. For anyone that is joining in the conversation for the first time, firstly, welcome and thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Matt Sapala, and a little bit of background about myself. I'm a qualified personal trainer and the owner of Euphoria Health and Active Living. A branch of Euphoria Health is the Euphoria Health podcast, which you're tuning into today. And this originated from the word euphoria, which is defined as a state of intense happiness or excitement. And that's exactly what I aim to do. I aim to cultivate happiness through movement. This show is your one-stop shop for all things holistic health and sustainability. Anyone that has seen the Euphoria logo will know that there's a four in it, the number four. And this has a deeper meaning behind it. The four addresses what I believe to be the main pillars of holistic health, including nutrition, movement, recovery, and mindfulness. This week on the show, I sat down with Hayden Crossley for his second appearance on the podcast. Hayden has a comprehensive knowledge of human movement. He's a qualified and practicing strength and conditioning coach, as well as being a physical education teacher. This week on the show, Hayden and I break down the fundamental principles involved in gaining lean muscle mass, also known as hypertrophy, a complex training process in which we aim to simplify to a few main areas for you all. Hayden and I are hoping to make our catch-ups a regular occurrence, giving you the ability to ask any questions health, fitness and holistic health related, as well as share some insights into our experiences as trainers and some of the things that we combat on the gym floor daily. That's all I have by way of introduction, folks. This one was super insightful and it was a great opportunity being able to catch up with Hayden and pick his brain. As I mentioned, he is a wealth of knowledge and I hope you guys got as much out of this one as I did. Don't forget to leave a rating and view for the podcast, guys, and share this episode with a friend that you think will find this useful. I'll catch you guys on the other side. All right, take two. Hayden Crossley, welcome to the Euphoria Health Podcast, man. 
Thank you, mate. It's good to be back. This is your second appearance on the podcast. The first experience, uh, first appearance, not experience. I guess it was an experience too. But the first appearance that you had on, you were traveling the world and you were living in a van and you were joining me from a cafe in Switzerland. Am I correct? It was Austria. So yeah, the first episode that I joined you on, I was um, I was in Austria. So you contacted me through Instagram and we ran our first episode while I was um, in a cafe at about 9am in Innsbruck. Before we get into the nitty gritty of today, how was that experience and when was that experience for you? So that would have been about three years ago now, but to be honest, the whole decade of my 20s, I spent traveling in and out of the country. So that kind of lifestyle is deeply ingrained in me, even today. Like you don't have to have to actively be leaving the country to have that kind of same essence of, of, of that life that I was living. So even here now, um, living my day-to-day life, I like to ensure that kind of time flexibility, um, which is why I love what I do because it allows me to do that. Um, so yeah, that experience living in a van kind of only requiring a Wi-Fi connection to be able to do my job and, and have some form of income was, was basically to me kind of the most euphoric feeling to be able to like go from country to country to city to city, uh, experience the culture of those places while still kind of being connected to clients digitally and making an impact to people's lives. I think we're very lucky um, in this day and age to be able to do the work we do remotely. Um, and you're a firsthand experience of that, doing your job and still able to have that income while doing the things that you love. And I think some something that a lot of trainers experience is you're working for your client essentially. But if you spin that around, they're actually working for you from a business point of view. So if you set the boundaries and set the limitation, leave it up to that other person to adjust to them rather than saying yes to everything all the time. And I knew from my personal experience, it took me a while to actually understand the word no and saying no. And then when I finally embraced that word no, it gave me that sense of life back instead of just working, right? And we we touched on this in take one of our podcast. You don't live to work and die. So creating a life and cultivating a life where, you know, you're able to top up your cup, cup, do the things that you like to do while living a life that you like to live and servicing people in that same way, I think is essential. 100%. At the end of the day, the more optimal you are as a human being, the better that you can help others. There's no point trying to help others if your life and the way you see yourself isn't always being worked on and or isn't always kind of improving. Otherwise, it kind of contradicts what you're going about and how you're going about it in terms of, in terms of helping others. So yeah, the online space especially is kind of one of them things where if you're just getting into the industry, um, if you're not kind of tapping in online or if you're not kind of tapping in with uh, online coaching in some way, shape or form, then you're kind of going to be left behind um, is the way I see it anyway, because the the world's evolving into that digital world. It already is there, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's also kind of that reason why I ensure that I keep putting the time into that world. Now, Hayden, I originally met you, you were my student teacher at Cedar. So that was my placement for uh, PE teaching right before I graduated. And yeah, I remember young Maddie in there was one of probably the the shining star student by far with the Cedar Group. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where we are now. You're a wealth of knowledge and we shared similar interests from a, a fitness and physical performance realm and we had to keep in contact and it's been a wild ride ever since. And here we are for round number two, man. It's been amazing and I guess understanding the background and the wealth of knowledge that you have over the last period, little period of time has been awesome. So um, I can't wait to dive into today's chat. And following on for anyone that does follow you on social media, you released a little snippet about hypertrophy and some of the principles that are required in order to, I guess, gain muscle mass. I'll hand the floor over to you, Hayden, to paint the picture for the listeners that have never heard of that word before. What is hypertrophy? Yeah, sure. So I really love the whole essence behind hypertrophy training because essentially everyone in some way, shape or form wants to get bigger, whether it's a man or woman, whether it's a female wanting to grow larger glutes, whether it's a man wanting to get a bigger or a bigger chest or, or shoulders. Um, everyone wants to kind of put on lean muscle tissue. And that's kind of the goal or aim behind most performance training as well, because the larger a muscle is, the more strength and power potential it's going to have as well. So yeah, the the um, goal obviously behind hypertrophy training is to is to build lean muscle, and I guess that's what we're going to dive into today. 
Yeah, definitely. I know we're having this conversation off air about, um, I guess, aesthetic-related goals when someone, an individual comes to you with physical aesthetic-related goals, whether they're weight loss or weight gain. And um, we're having this discussion about performance-related goals and how, in essence, having the performance-related goal, for example, if you're an athlete and you're wanting to, I guess, get quicker at your 100-meter sprint, having that as your goal, as a byproduct, you get all of the um, aesthetic-related goals as a byproduct, um, if programmed correctly, of course. Before we dive into the conversation of hypertrophy, why do you think performance-related goals are really, really important for hypertrophy-related goals as well? I think having a performance-related goal is going to keep you much more intrinsically motivated than having any sort of aesthetic-related goal. Aesthetics can change day-to-day, whereas performance-related goals, you can have kind of clear indicators of where you currently are and where you want to be. So that's kind of why I encourage most of my clients, even if their uh, sole kind of goal is surrounding body composition related results, to always have kind of some sort of performance goal in the back uh, in the background. So for example, let's take a female wanting to um, kind of improve her physique, having a secondary goal behind that to achieve her first pull-up, for example, is going to like really, really nicely tie into both those goals but having that pull-up goal is like a deeper meaning behind the training as opposed to just kind of having two percent less body fat than what you did three months ago it also enables you to have clear metrics and be able to see progressions week on week on week we know with um, any aesthetic related goal it takes a long period of time for you to actually start noticing those changes yes you can go and do your scale weight every day and see fluctuations but that's exactly what it is it's a fluctuation from day to day so having those i guess physical metrics to track um, can be a really really insightful thing from an athlete's point of view to notice progressions and help keep the fire burning towards that other goal as well yeah exactly right man exactly right I thought that was a really great place to start the conversation because you and I see this a lot. You people initially come to you for that aesthetic related goal, but encouraging that person to have a um, a performance related goal can really help keep that fire burning for all the principles that we spoke about before. Speaking about hypertrophy and its principles, I'll hand the floor over to you. What do you think will highlight the main principles that are involved in hypertrophy related programming and training and then we'll dive into them in in a little bit more depth so over to you Hayden what are those main sort of principles that we focus on yeah sure so essentially uh again just a cheeky plug here but I have made a cheeky video of this on my Instagram so you can find that on at bodyweightvictor um where I ran through a couple of these principles so we'll touch on them again but essentially the main or most uh like the highest priority principle that we want to be following for um, hypertrophy related goals is going to be progressive overload. So ensuring that each session or each week is significantly or progressively, sorry, is probably the better word, harder than the last. Yeah. So ensuring that volume is slowly increasing. So for anyone that doesn't re- know what volume actually is or training volume, training volume is the total amount work, total amount of work per session per muscle group. Okay. So essentially you want that and progressive overload in order for progressive overload to gradually increase volume will naturally also increase. So that's probably the number one or first uh, principle that comes to mind for me that we want to be touching on with clients. Would that be the same for you as well, Maddie? Yeah, definitely. I think progressive overload is something that's really, really crucial and it can be achieved through many different areas. Progressive overload doesn't naturally mean, I'm sure we'll dive into this later, adding weight to the bar. There's so many other variables. You can change the range of motion. You can add a add um, a tempo onto the movement. They're all ways to progress that movement, not only just lifting heavier weights. Yeah, and that's the common kind of um, misconception really is where people think each session needs to mean I'm lifting heavier weight than I did last week. It's not necessarily like that. You can be lifting the exact same weight for three, four weeks in a row, but we can change other metrics such as the time you rest between each set the tempo at which you, you you lift that weight. So let's use a bench press as an example. And you're lifting 80 kilos on the bench for five reps. Now, these five reps feel really clean and you don't feel too confident going up that following week. All right? It's not necessary. You don't need to be going up that following week. You can instead, if you were if you were first um, first week, you, were, you might have been resting two minutes. Now you rest 90 seconds or a minute. 
Yeah, or you can slow that tempo down and all of a sudden now you're emphasizing on that eccentric range of motion. So instead of just banging out a set of five, now all of a sudden you're still banging out a set of five, but you're prioritizing that three second lowering as you're bringing the bar back down to the chest and you might pause for a second. Now you're using the exact same weight as week one, but week three is significantly more difficult because you've added these kind of extra components. So yeah, that, that is something I really try to instill in people that the weight on the bar can easily be um, increase, but we want to kind of drop the ego in the gym. And the, the moment we start doing that, the moment you literally start doing that is the moment your training just skyrockets and you start all of a sudden understanding those neural connections between patterns. You start understanding exactly how a pattern and movement should feel. And then the muscles follow suit. The muscles follow suit with that. Yeah. So naturally you're going to grow muscle through that same pattern, um, just effortlessly by concentrating more on the, the the pattern of movement and perfecting that we touch on progressive overload which is the main overloading uh the main underlying principle for hypertrophy related training how where does intensity and rep ranges sort of fit within that realm as well yeah sure so i guess we'll touch on rep ranges first so typically you're going to see a lot of info out there on on the internet and the answer is there is no specific real rep range for say hypertrophy, like you'll see some people say eight to 12 reps is optimal for hypertrophy. That, does, that doesn't mean if you want to build muscle that you should only be sticking to that eight to 12 rep range. For the most optimal results, it's all about kind of having a blend of both. So you want to have a blend of those lower rep range sets, which is typically targeting your strength and the amount of weight that you can move or, or the um, amount of resistance that you can kind of shift and then you want those high rep range sets of like 12 to 15, you know, so that we were kind of getting as much uh, blood through the muscle. You're kind of trying to tear those muscle fibers with those um, more isolated patterns. Um, so the rep range, in order to be training most optimally, you want to be having a nice range of anywhere between two, so heavy sets of doubles, triples, and up to fives, and then having towards the end of your session. So you normally start with those heavier sets at the start of your session when you're freshest. And then towards the end of your session, you can kind of add those more isolated movements, um, which are targeting the, the smaller muscle groups. And then that's how the intensity will also work. Yeah, so your intensity of your session is going to be higher at the start, start while you're freshest. And then as you start fatiguing, you slowly become more isolated. The, multi, the tip, typical kind of structure that I will follow is like your kind of multi-joint compound movements at the start such as your deadlifts, your squats, your, your bench press, overhead press, all those big kind of compound patterns. Uh, and then as the session progresses, so towards the end, then you can start kind of isolating muscle groups and hitting, say, uh, your triceps as a standalone movement, uh, your, your deltoids as a standalone movement. You know, that's where, that's where you're going to get and find the most uh, optimal results with, with, within your session. In addition to that, Hayden, I think having a rep range where you're within two to three reps of failure is also fantastic and beneficial for hypertrophy training. Essentially, failure can be determined by two different ways. We can either go technical failure where you physically cannot perform that movement safely anymore. Therefore, that would be a technique failure or muscular failure where your muscles physically cannot perform that movement safely due to overall fatigue and therefore you're failing that movement. And working within those sort of two to three rep ranges of failure is great for hypertrophy training. Not working to failure all the time, working within two to three reps of failure. So having two to three more reps in the tank is what we're trying to achieve here. A fantastic resource for coaches to use would be the PRE scale. And PRE, for anyone that doesn't know, stands for Perceived Rate of Exertion or RPE, which is Rate of Perceived Exertion, essentially meaning the same thing. So it's used as a scale from 1 to 10, determining how challenging that movement felt or what target weight we're trying to lift at to achieve that um PRE scale. So for example, one is going to be really, really light, almost that body weight feeling super, super easy. And then 10 is going to be super, super hard, almost at failure. So determining that PRE can be a really beneficial tool for hypertrophy training. In saying that, we want to be on the top end of the spectrum for majority of our hypertrophy training, but we don't want to be training to failure all the time. Oh, 100%. And for a quick cheeky tip, for anyone out there, if you want your true kind of RPE reading, 
then hire a coach and you'll realize that what you think is like RP9 is probably an RP5. You know what I mean? Like you can go a lot more than you think you probably can. And yeah, it's not as soon as you start feeling pain, that doesn't mean that's the point to stop. And that's that's kind of the biggest hurdle with gen pop clients that I, that I kind of face. Yeah, definitely. Love that. PRE, RP, potato, potato. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. Um, Yeah, beautifully said. Hey, friends, just a quick word from a sponsor of the show, and then we'll get right back to it. My Euphoria Health community would know that I adopt a plant-exclusive diet, a diet that is often labelled as lacking nutrients. While majority of the essential nutrients can be attained from a plant-rich diet, there are some nutrients that need a little extra love. Lucky for us plant-based folks, Emil have formulated the Essential 8 Multinutrient, which features some key nutrients that plant-based eaters may fall short on. The 8 key nutrients formulated in the capsule include Omega-3, Iodine, Selenium, Iron, Vitamin D3, Vitamin B12, Calcium and Zinc. Conveniently, just two capsules per day provide me with the ability to bulletproof my plant-rich diet as well as ensuring I'm not falling short on any nutrients of focus. I personally take two capsules of Essential 8 every day with breakfast, which ensures I can maintain my vital, bubbly self and continue to promote active living within the community. The best part about it is that Emil have taken the hassle out of the reordering process through their monthly subscription model. Essential 8 just arrives at my doorstep each month, no questions asked. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash euphoria health. That's www.emele.com forward slash euphoria health. And use the code euphoria health at the checkout for an extra 5% off your first order on top of the generous subscription discount. I will also have a direct link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to it. From a um, range of motion point of view, for person, for someone that's never heard of range of motion before or ROM, what does it stand for, and why is it crucial when you're having any hypertrophy, uh, hypertrophy related goals? Yeah, so range of motion is a big one actually, because I believe that that full range of motion training is the most optimal, and the science kind of backs it as well. But I am quite biased because a lot of my training revolves around that kind of mobility work, that kind of um, calisthenics-based training. So that's why I am an advocate for uh, full range of motion work. So that should be a staple, full range of motion. The only reason I'd kind of use partial range of motions or, or quarter reps is for those kind of more neural gains, those kind of more neural stimulus. Like if you're wanting to jump, higher you want to run faster that's where kind of say we use squats as example um if you're doing a quarter squat as opposed to a full range squat obviously a quarter squat is going to replicate those running angles a little bit more or those jumping angles a little bit more so you're able to also load the tendon and the that that short pattern a lot more um so it's much more neural response but if for sole hypertrophy gains or hypertrophy focus then full range of motion is the answer if you want to grow the full length and size of a muscle then you need to take that muscle through its full range of motion yeah i love it and that's where we go back to the initial conversation we had around ego and leaving the ego at the door when you're doing any hypertrophy related training because you would rather have a lighter weight taking that um, that muscle to full range than a heavier weight at a quarter range for any hypertrophy related stuff. Yeah, precisely. And you're going to take so much more from it other than just your hypertrophy gains. Like taking a muscle through its full range of motion is what mobility training actually is. So people think mobility training is, say, stretching out your leg and reaching for your toe and stretching out your hamstring. No, mobility training is taking a muscle through its full range of motion. So there's nothing stopping you blending your strength and resistance-based work with your mobility. Like it's not what you think mobility training. If you're using a uh, RDL as an example, so for those that don't know what an RDL is, a straight leg deadlift where you're trying to lengthen the hamstring as much as possible with a neutral spine. So if you use that as an example and you have the option to either lift 40 kilos but you're getting a much deeper stretch and you can almost reach the ground with the barbell as opposed to say using 50 kilos but you might feel too much tension just beneath the knee so now all of a sudden we've shortened the range by about 30%. I would opt to go for the lighter weight, but take that 
movement through its full range of motion. Now, not only have you taken the muscle through 100% of its range, but you've also challenged its mobility. So you're increasing your baseline kind of flexibility and mobility. So you're killing two birds with one stone. So that's another reason why I kind of prioritize full range of motion with any sort of like hypertrophy related training. Those sets also have their have their place. Like if you think of a biomechanical drop set, for example, you can take you can have one set where it is that full range of motion set, and then you might pair that with like your half reps just to kind of get that pump going and damage the muscle a little further. But as a whole, as a whole, and a general rule of thumb, I would be using most movements and most exercises specifically for beginners or people that have kind of not been training for any more than two years. So within their first two years of training, then practicing that full range of motion is going to be key. Yeah, definitely. I think before you start including those partial reps, let's focus on full range. Yeah, exactly. We spoke about tempo off air. Um, and even at the start of the conversation, I can't remember if that was take one or take two of this conversation. So tempo for anyone that has never heard of that before, what is tempo and where is it relevant in, um, any of these sort of training methods? Okay. So tempo is time under tension. So the amount of, um, time that your muscle is basically loaded through, through an exercise or through a rep, um, how you read tempo. This is a massive one. So I get this question heaps because you'll see it on a lot of programming. So if you've got any sort of, um, coach writing your program and you see four funny numbers, a lot of people don't actually know how to read that. So they read it incorrectly. But you'll see four numbers and it's always the eccentric phase that's first. So the eccentric phase is when you'll say, if we use bench press again, if we're lowering the bar, so as the muscles kind of lengthening is our eccentric phase. So that number is always first. So if you see a tempo as four, um, four, one, zero, one, then you're seeing that as a four second lowering, a one second pause up as fast as you can. And then one second before the, before the next rep. So tempo in hypertrophy is critical. And generally, you're going to find best results with slower tempos where you can really feel the kind of muscle through that full range. You can almost, once you get a lot of experience with training, you can kind of almost feel that fiber tearing through the range. Like if you're kind of eccentrically loading something and you can feel that muscle kind of lengthen as you lower or or, um, raise whatever the eccentric phase looks like, you can kind of feel that muscle just completely under load. You can feel the muscle fibers slowly tear. So that, that is, that is the key reason for, for, that's a key purpose behind hypertrophy really is to kind of damage muscle fiber so that it grow back bigger and stronger. Yeah. Awesome. I think, um, tempo is something that is typically ignored and it's the first thing that sort of gets thrown out the window. Everyone wants to add weight to the bar. Everyone wants to progressively overload through adding kilos to the bar, but adding tempo is such a fantastic way to do it as well. Um, I know since you started programming for me, Hayden, there's a lot of tempo work and fuck, I hate it, but I love it at the same time because it's really, really humbling to know that, all right, you scale back the weight 30 kilos and it's still challenging using that PRE scale. It's still an eight out of 10 but you've scaled back 30 kilos from before. So adding a tempo can really, really change the stimulus of the movement a lot. Oh, my favorite is seeing someone that thinks that they can do push-ups for days or they think they're really, they're really fit with, um, with bodyweight movements. And then you get them to do just a, just a clean set of five push-ups, but a three-second lower, a three-second pause, and then three seconds on the way up. So all of a sudden, one rep takes you nine seconds. Now five reps seem awfully hard and the initial 50 reps that they thought they could bang out turns into, oh yeah, this is much harder. Now now I'm training. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think tempo ticked off. Frequency is something that is also really, really crucial when you're doing any sort of um, hypertrophy-related goal. Typically, you get someone that goes to the gym three days per week and they might do, you know, an upper body day, push day, an upper body day, pull day, and then like a a legs day. Do you think there are better ways of programming than a typical quote unquote bro split? Yeah, sure. So frequency, firstly, uh, I feel will come under volume as well. So another way to increase training volume instead of increasing, say, a set or increasing more reps, for example, you might have exhausted that kind of progression where you've gone over the course of four weeks and slowly added a couple more sets or reps. Now we'll get to a point eventually where instead of just increasing or adding to your already existing sessions, you just add another session. Now all of a sudden that training volume still increased, but you've just increased the frequency. So the, the sessions don't necessarily get harder, but we've added a session. 
So the bro splits back then, or even now, like it still gets, they still get thrashed, but like your typical back buyers, chest tries, which as I touched on earlier is touching on, it's focusing solely on a, on a muscle group. So you're focusing solely on say the bicep muscle and the back, as opposed to thinking about the patterns associated with those, with those muscles. Now, if you're kind of hitting a muscle group once a week, like that split kind of, um, uh, like that split does so you say that that typical bro split of chest tries back buys you're hitting that same muscle group once a week and then doing it all over again the following week you're not getting enough frequency to allow the muscle to grow so that bin, that bare minimum standard is at least two sessions a week you need to be hitting the same muscle group group but i like to promote three sessions a week for any given muscle group that's when i have the most optimal results so yeah, with frequency, that's a common mistake I see with a lot of beginners is hitting the muscle group really, really hard, but only once and then doing it all over again the following week. So Tuesdays, my shoulders get cooked, but then I won't cook my shoulders again till next Tuesday. And that's great. You can have the greatest session on earth, but if you're hitting it once a week, then you're not growing as fast as you, as fast as you really can be growing. Yeah, definitely. I think for someone that is only training three days a week, how would we look to optimize that hypertrophy-related goals while not obviously training when they're too sore and no overloading the muscle too much? Yeah, that, that's a good one because it will really depend on many factors, especially the training age. So anyone that's kind of in their first two years of training can really get away with three full body weight, full body sessions. Sorry. So training a full body three times because as a beginner, which I do really miss is seeing those kind of gains that you get within that first year or two of training. Like everything you touch is going to turn to gold at that, at that training age. So really all it's about is finding a structure and then moving and learning how to move and you're going to gain muscle. For someone that's more in the intermediate category, however, if you're limiting yourself to three sessions per week or you're, you're, you're kind of committing to three sessions a week, probably that's a better, better way to put it, then I would be looking at targeting what you uh sorry finding your priority so for example if your shoulders and chest is your priority then that means upper body would be more your priority so i'd go two upper one lower typically for females they'd want it in reverse and you go two lower one upper so typically with three days i would split it something like that with a client only because not only are you getting the frequency, so an upper body, obviously, then you can you can lead one session into um, your big kind of compound movements, chest, back, and then that second upper body session, you're still going to indirectly hit the chest and back when you target, say, um, your shoulders as well uh, or your arms, uh, and that way you're you're getting that total weekly frequency um, at, at that level that you want it to be at to to grow. Is there a specific number in terms of? Um, specific muscle group or the amount of times that you should be hitting that specific muscle group or pattern per week in order to optimally achieve the goals, um, taking out any like sort of limitations with exercise. Say if you're in a perfect world, you've got no limitations or any sort of perfect numbers that you should be hitting. Look, the, in terms of per amount of days per week, any time, anywhere between two and three is going to be most optimal. There are probably guidelines in terms of how many sets um, again, this is on a range that based on the based on the individual and the training age. So um, the amount of sets, and don't quote me here, but the amount of sets for a for a beginner, if you're kind of hitting per session it, in those early days, you can get away with like six solid sets, even less sometimes, depending on what the actual movement is. So six solid sets per muscle group, and then as obviously your training age uh, increases, then you just want to obviously be more tolerant to that sort of training so we're going to require a lot more so yeah the general rule of thumb is kind of anywhere between say 6 and 16 so i know it's a large range but it is going to depend on obviously the the training age someone that's wanting to hit full body three days a week and let's say for someone that's more of an intermediate um i guess trainer or intermediate if you're talking about someone's training age how would they structure this um, that is going to obviously help them achieve those principles with not overloading too much. Yeah, sure. So if three full body days per week, um, I would be, again, focusing on, on on our movement pattern. So you might have one full body day focusing on all your kind of, uh, or emphasizing, we'll say. So, all right, so let's say we have Mondays as our push emphasis day. So it's an emphasis on push, but there's still pulling involved, right? And then your Wednesday might be our pull focus day, but there's still pushing involved. So see how the, you have a healthy blend of both, but if we broke it up into percentages, it might be like 70-30, so 70% 70 
pushing and then 30% pulling and then the other day is in reverse but you're still covering both bases on both days and then maybe that third day you can add a, a more focus on say your your core component or you might target your legs a little bit more and it's just about how you kind of blend it in at, based on kind of your preferences or, or what your target areas actually are but yeah if you're if you are targeting those three full body days it's just a, a matter of kind of, it's, it's a bit of a tetris game bit of a jigsaw puzzle where you're trying to ensure that you do have balance but you're also accumulating enough volume especially in those target areas there's no there's no point um having such a high uh, sorry such a low volume uh for your shoulders if that's your if that's your key target area so obviously you're naturally going to want to add a bit more volume to those shoulder areas so that last day on the friday if you're training monday wednesday friday could be a little bit more targeted towards those um priority areas so the first two days are balanced and then that last day you might have uh, a little bit more emphasis on the um the areas you want to develop a little bit quicker than others Beautifully summarized. And I just want to summarize these principles of progressive overload and hypertrophy and how they tie before we take this conversation any further. So we spoke about um, obviously progressive overload. There's a number of ways that we can achieve that, which we'll go through it again. We spoke about volume, intensity, rep ranges, range of motion, um, tempo, frequency. Is there anything else that you think is worthwhile to address within this conversation? The first one that comes to mind, so they're pretty much our, our main pillars if you like that we want to be considering with hypertrophy training one that's kind of often not or overlooked if you like is our exercise variation our exercise selection um and i touched on this earlier but you want to be kind of thinking about what your exercise variation looks like and instead of always thinking about increasing the weight on the bar or increasing reps and sets sometimes we can make a slight change to the exercise and keep all the volume and rep and set schemes as they are but the movement all of a sudden becomes harder, but targets the exact same muscle groups. Uh, so the example that I'll give is, for example, if we use a um, push-up off a box, off an incline, so for a beginner particularly, then all of a sudden that same three times 10 sets off a box can remain three times 10, but the box height can become lower or you can even end up on the floor. So now the rep range hasn't necessarily changed, but the pattern becomes more difficult. So therefore, the difficulty of the exercise becomes a lot harder. Now you don't need to worry about changing the reps and set schemes or the volume because we've just changed the difficulty of the of the exercise. So that's a big one that often gets kind of um, overlooked uh, or just not progressed in the right way. So if you have a, a great program or you have a great coach leading you through um, a, a mesocycle, then you might see that the volume doesn't necessarily need to make such large jumps or you won't see such crazy changes in volume or periodization across a, across a cycle. You might just see minor changes to exercise variation, which is going to subconsciously make the, the movement harder anyway. And that's what's going to kind of accumulate that high quality training volume without the fatigue as a, as a, as a swap. Definitely. I think complexity of movement can be is overlooked a lot and it can be achieved through a number of different ways as well, simply by changing the piece of equipment that you're using too. Like if you're going from, for example, a front squat position using a barbell and then changes to dumbbells can change the complexity of movement straight away. Suddenly you're focusing more on stabilizing through the core um, a little bit more as opposed to utilizing a barbell. So changing the, the a piece of equipment that you're using can really help achieve that as well. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. This podcast is brought to you by Emil, a health and wellness company backed by science to help you become the most vital version of you. Greens powders can often be clunky, grainy, hard to digest and can leave you feeling bloated. Luckily for you, Emil alongside leading scientists and expert formulators have designed Shine Greens. Shine Greens is a perfectly curated blend of over 60 nutrients which can support digestion, reduce bloating, improve vitality and support your overall health and well-being by assisting in the body's natural detoxification process. I personally take Shine Greens daily. Just one sachet in my daily smoothie leaves me feeling energized enough to continue to do the job that I love the most, which is promote health and active living to my community through the power of movement. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash Euphoria Health and click on Shine Greens. That's www.emile.com forward slash Y-O-U, the number four, I-A Health. And use the code Euphoria Health at the checkout for a nice little discount. 
It's important to note that any modifications to your diet and lifestyle should be done so under the guidance of your healthcare practitioner. All right, now let's get back to the show. So talking back to, I guess, progressive overload and how we typically would see someone progressive movement through increasing the weight, when do you think is a good time for someone as a rule of thumb to start looking at other metrics um, such as your tempo, such as your, um, I guess, complexity of movement? Is there a specific time that you would say or an overall combination of all of the progressive overload principles in one is, is I guess, the, the right fit? So this will depend, again, on the individual, but you never really need to progress more than one thing at a time. So you wouldn't then, you wouldn't go from week one and then in week two, all of a sudden you're like, all right, we're progressive overloading. So we're going to change the tempo, change the reps and set schemes and also change the exercise because you're kind of overkilling there and you're, you're progressing it too much to the point where you're, you've, you've missed the point. Like you, you haven't kept the training quality. So you've, you've lost that, that middle zone. So a lot of the time it's going to be based on how the movement starts to feel. If the exercise is feeling too easy, for example, then that's when we're kind of starting to look at if you're not being challenged, what can we do to, to, to change and make, make sure you're being challenged every single session? Yeah. Right. And I think, where I was more heading within that was more like a, uh, a weight-based question. So, for example, if someone's back squatting their body weight, would you say that then that's a fantastic time for them to start adding some time and attention or some tempo towards that movement because they're doing the the squat of body weight? I guess it comes down to your individual's goals. But. Oh, 100%. I think if you can tick the, tick the boxes of like your form is A1 and you're kind of moving the weight um, – quite comfortably, then you can kind of start looking at, all right, I've mastered this pattern. I'm quite confident under this bar in this squat pattern. So now I can kind of, instead of looking at adding weight, let's try to do a really slow rep or let's try to pause for three seconds at the bottom. And then after you kind of tick that box, then you can be like, all right, now I'm ready to go up to 90 kilos. Yeah. And that's kind of a good, good way to indicate where, where you're at instead of just chasing numbers. I think, and this is a, a conversation that is open for interpretation as well, but I think the influx of group fitness has, I guess, somewhat tarnished reputations of typical progressive overload techniques, right? So your, your typical group fitness class is all about new exciting movements and trying to progress from level one to level 10 straight away, which obviously increases your likelihood of injury. Um, and that's done in order to keep that the client, I guess, enjoyed and keep them I guess, enthusiastic about their training because typically, you know, sometimes doing the same movement four weeks in a row can be quite boring. But um, when you're progressing too many things at once and changing the movement and then somewhat, sometimes that person doesn't come for a week and then they're at level five when they should be at level one, it can it can floor a lot of those um, principles. What would you have to say about that? Yeah, look, the whole uh, group training thing, that's that could be a whole episode on its own, to be honest, that we could talk about. I remember we've had a couple of chats about this um, off air, but that's... I don't want to say problem with group training, but also it, it is as well because you, you can't really police or manage the training volume of every single individual, particularly if you're a gym with like a client base of two, 300 people who aren't coming on specific days. They might come to one session and you might not see them again for a week. It's impossible to manage that, um, which also makes it hard to progressive overload. Like obviously you can know if you felt that you worked harder to last to the last time you were doing a group class. But in a group class, there's going to be a blend of many different things. Like typically you'll see conditioning, strength, um, core work all in all in one session. So whilst your last session might, may have been harder aerobically, the following session might not have backed up the same kind of um, uh, progressions with your, with your weight choices. Even if you are lifting a heavier weight than last week, there's too many other factors and stimulus that affects the difficulty of that session to be able to safely say that you progressively overloaded in a like formula like like following a formula if you know what i mean like if you're if you're following a um progressive overload like it's not a linear line that's what i'm trying to get at definitely definitely i think group training has uh, some fantastic benefits um from a community point of view from getting people moving for starters mm. um so i think that we're not you know, shitting on group training at all here just for the purpose of hypertrophy related yeah, goals. Yeah, strictly hypertrophy. Yeah, definitely. Something that is really, really crucial with any sort of fitness related goals and you hear about the, the nutrition and recovery side of things, the 80-20 rule, blah, blah, blah. I guess for context of this conversation, the only way that you're going to see any hypertrophy related 
um, goals achieved is when you're in a calorie surplus, right? And that comes from eating more calories than I guess you're burning throughout the day. Yeah, sure. So again, that's an, that's probably a whole nother episode that you could talk about in terms of the, the nutrition side of things. But just to give a like a brief overview, as you mentioned, you need to be in the calorie surplus to be able to build that muscle um, whilst you are having that kind of hypertrophy-related goal. So a common um, mistake, not mistake because some people don't realize, but a common thing you see is a lot of um, younger athletes specifically kind of going hammer and tong in the gym and training their heart out, but then they're not actually in a calorie surplus, so they're not building muscle to... Um, as a result of their of their training, which can be frustrating for that individual, which is why you need sometimes a coach to be giving you that kind of insight with how to do it properly. I think, yeah, having that extra layer of accountability and tracking, I guess, your intake in some way, shape or form, that doesn't have to be specific caloric intake, but just having a rough idea of, of stock take of what's going in your body and how we can look to achieve a calorie surplus, I think, is um, is really important. It doesn't have to be nailing it right down to the number by tracking calories. Obviously, I guess that's you know more beneficial the closer we are, but again, that is only just an equation. So by simply adding substance towards those things, so for example, I take a smoothie for an example. If you're just having a smoothie for breakfast with banana, ice, protein powder, and water, sometimes adding a cup of rolled oats and a tablespoon of peanut butter suddenly increases the calories by about two to 300. So therefore, you're naturally going to, I guess, increase the caloric value within the day throughout foods just like that. Yeah, right. So something I normally do with, um, with my clients is just get them to track a week worth of eating just to get an idea on what they're consuming. And sometimes that action, like no one wants to track forever. No one should be tracking their whole life anyway. You should be able to track for periods of time to get an understanding what food volumes are, what calorie density means, um, how many calories you're actually kind of consuming at a time. And then once you've kind of got a feel for it, you can you can tell whether, whether you're consuming more than you burn or vice versa because you either feel like you're full of energy or you know when you're like, you, you'd know as well. We've been in the industry long enough to kind of read your own body's uh, signals and signs to know whether or not hang on, I'm undernourished here or I'm feeling great and I must be fed well. You know what I mean? So over time, you kind of get used to that kind of feeling and you can tell whether you are in that kind of maintenance zone, surplus zone or or deficit zone. So advice I give to kind of people within that beginner to intermediate um, stage of their, of their lifting and training career is to get a gauge for how much you're eating naturally. You might be already in a surplus without realizing you might be in a deficit without realizing but tracking that week worth of calories will give you a lot of insight into what you're eating without trying and then at least you know all right when i was when i was kind of eating with instinct when i was instinctively eating or intuitively eating i was consuming 300 calories more than i require so i was naturally already in a in a surplus and i and i trialed this over a week or you might have been under eating but having that knowledge, all of a sudden now you know, all right, now I, at least now I know the intention is to consume slightly less or now I know that the intention is to consume slightly more. But having that knowledge is the power to help you, help you realize which direction you need to be walking in at least. Yeah, definitely. Beautifully summarized. And I guess to put a pin in recovery, like your sleep is so crucial for every aspect of life, in particular hypertrophy-related goals as well because if you're not resting, recovering and sleeping properly, your muscle's not going to get the ability to rebuild despite the best training program or the best nutrition in the world. So sleep is is king. 100%. They, they say the uh, abs are built in the kitchen and then your muscles are built in your bed. So when you're actually sleeping is when the muscle's building and growing, not while you're in the gym doing your sets. You know, it's, it's while you're sleeping is where, where the gains are really made. I think that's a harsh reality for a lot of people, right? Thinking they can thrive a five-hour sleep, go do a gym session seven days a week and then, you know, eat the best in the world. You're definitely um, not achieving as much as you could be if you're focusing more on sleep. Oh, that was me for a long time, you know. I was, I was like that for a long time till I started realizing the, the importance of sleep. And even now, like, we live busy lifestyles. You know, Western culture is just that non-stop kind of life. Um, so sleep can be like eight hours kind of seems like impossible for a lot of people. Sometimes I feel like it's very difficult to get eight hours sleep, but prioritizing and making it making it a priority for you to have that average across seven days. So if you know that you start at 5 a.m. one day or you know you've, you've missed sleep one day, doesn't necessarily mean you've messed up your whole week. You can catch up on sleep in other areas of that, of that week. But if you average that kind of seven, eight hours, you'll start seeing the 
the crucial differences to not only your um, body composition and training quality, but even things like your your skin quality and, and, and how much energy that you have each day and how much zest for life you have when you get out of bed in the first place. I think having these conversations is really, really difficult to narrow in on one specific topic because when you're talking about the realm of holistic health and any sort of, I guess, specific in-depth body component there's so many other facets to it you can't just say all right we need to lift weights to be strong because there's so many other things that are going in into it so i guess having an old broad overview of holistic health and all different facets is going to help you in the long run and that's where i think having that accountability and um having a coach and sourcing out a coach to help you keep accountability and help you get gain education from that point i'm a coach and i also have a coach So Hayden sitting right across from me, who's keeping me accountable and educating me on the importance of all different facets in holistic health. I think it's important and you can never know too much, hey? Well, how I I look at coaching as well is, all right, coaching is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a time investment. But what is it costing you to not have a coach? Uh, What's your alternative? Like to not have a coach, you can, sure, you can find a whole bunch of information on the internet and you can probably like nut your way through what you think you should be doing and spend X amount of time. But the the uh, the reality is if you're taking that route, it might take you say eight to 12 months to get a result. Whereas if you were to say invest in someone who's an expert in that field, you can all, all of a sudden fast track that same result to half the time sometimes. Four or five months, you could have that same result that you would get in a year because you're investing into something and into someone who knows exactly the, the path that you need to take in order to achieve any given fitness goal or performance-related goal. Beautifully summarized. For anyone that is wanting to, I guess, be coached by you, Hayden, where can they find out some more information um, about your services? Most my most of my um, content is on Instagram, so Bodyweight Victor. Um, so I'm in, the, I'm in the process of constantly upgrading, really. But yeah, most of um, where you can find me is going to be through Instagram at the moment. So Bodyweight Victor. Awesome. I know we could have chatted for hours about this one specific component, but I think we had a pretty broad overview and dived deep into some of those different fields. Um, If anyone that still has any questions, feel free to reach out to Hayden or myself about this and um, we'd love to chat more in depth about it. Hayden, thanks so much for your time, man. It's been a pleasure, Maddie. Thank you for having me on again. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. I hope you got as much out of today's episode as I did. As usual, let us know that you're listening by screenshotting the cover of the podcast and tagging Euphoria Health in on socials. Don't forget to subscribe to the Euphoria Health podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a nice little review if you're loving the show. Stay happy and stay healthy and let's get moving. I'll speak to you guys next week. The information found on euphoriahealth.com or any of its media platforms is intended for educational purposes only. Any statements made on these platforms are not intended to diagnose, cure, treat or prevent any disease or illness. Please consult with your medical practitioner before making any changes to your current diet and lifestyle. 